0: Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for uh, singing along, guys. Thanks for uh, joining with us. What a great, great morning. Well, 21 years old. I um, had just graduated Bible college. I was working as an associate pastor in a church running an inner city youth ministry. And that's what I did on my nights and weekends because by day I was a, a window manufacturer. Paul made tents, I made windows. And. Um, so I'd be out late at night, as you might imagine, with the teenagers, having fun, trying to lead them to Jesus, and doing life with them, uh, having a great time. But then morning would come, and my, my father, who was here last week and spoke, for those of you who had the chance to hear him, you just never know what he's going to say, uh, so it's always great to hear him speak. But well, my dad was here, and, uh, and so he would come to wake me up in the morning because he would drive me to the window factory in Pickering from Trenton area where we lived, so it was about an hour and 15-minute drive. And he would come up at around 5.20 in the morning, the ungodly hour of 5.20 in the morning. I some of your or early people, I'm not a morning person. And so I, of course, pulled in at 1 in the morning from hanging with the teens, and I was just getting into my deep sleep when my dad would come in, Nason, time to get up. That's, he has an accent, not quite like that, but it, Yeah. I was a little more Arnold Schwarzenegger than French, French dad. <laughs> but he would say, you know what, time to get up? And he would come in, I'd be like, Dad, no, I just do to sleep. out." And he's like, you have to come, it's time to go to work. And so he'd pull on me and pull the sheets off me, and if I really wouldn't get up, he'd dump water on me. Um, so I would, I would climb out of bed, half asleep, and I would wander down, and I would climb in the little car, and I would fall asleep on the door. And when I woke up, we were at work. We were there. And, uh, and I would just kind of stumble, you know, stumble into the, into the workplace. And there was a little room off of the side where I built all the specialty windows. If you needed a triangle, I was your guy. If you needed an octagon or something bent, like a nice round top window, a half arch, uh, anything like that. Uh, so those were my specialty windows. I built it. I had my own little room. And so I'd go in there half asleep and I'd start to build whatever the order was for the day. Now, what would happen is at lunchtime, I would be starving because, of course, I haven't eaten breakfast. And, and I would kind of wander into my dad's office, and I would sit down on the chair, and I would say, Dad, what's for lunch? And he would reach into a grocery bag, because he didn't have an actual lunch bag, he just brought a plastic bag with some stuff that he found in the fridge. And he would reach into the bag, I remember one day he pulls out a half a loaf of white bread and drops it on the desk. Lunch. I'm like, seriously, do you have any butter at least? Nope. Do you have any peanut butter, any toppings of any kind? Well, he says, I did, I did pick a tomato this morning in the dark, and he'd pull out this giant tomato from his garden, and he'd take out his dirty X-Acto knife with rust and oil on it, and he would start slicing the tomato into like one-inch chunks to put on that dry white bread. There you go. But you know what? I was hungry, so I ate it anyways. Because it's amazing what happens when you're hungry, You'll anything tastes good. And so I would eat that tomato. One day I came into his office and I was starving, same situation. He reaches into his plastic bag and he pulls out a chunk of a Bible. Like literally, one of his Bibles at home fell apart, and he had the gospel of John. I'll never forget. He takes out the gospel of John, and he drops it on the desk. He says, Lunch. It's like, Are you are you kidding me right now? And he quotes scripture: Men shall not live by bread alone, Nathan, but by the every word that comes, proceeds from the mouth of God. I'm like, okay, Dad, you're trying to make a point, right? Right? Yeah, we got to feed our bodies, but we got we to feed our souls too, right? He's like, uh-huh. So yeah, joke's over. Where's the lunch? And he says, that's it. We're fasting. To which I said, no, you're fasting. And I would like to pretend that I was super spiritual and we stayed in his office reading the Gospel of John and praying together. But I borrowed five bucks from another guy and went and bought a hot dog. That's what I did. Okay? Today is the, is the last Sunday before um, most of us in this room start heading off for holidays. It is, this is actually the holiday season of the year. I don't know if you know this, most of you probably have plans, but this is the time when people take holidays and vacations. In fact, um, at our church here at Pathway, uh, during the months of July and August, uh, t- church attendance will fall by 25 to 30% through the months of July and August. And I could stand here and try to make everyone feel guilty, like you should just show up anyways, but I'm actually going to take some holidays too, uh, because, you know, we live in the Great White North, and frankly, there's only a few months of warm, bright days that you can enjoy the weather and go camping and cottaging and all those things. So please enjoy your vacation. It's, it's, important, it's important to do. Uh, Merriam-Webster defines a vacation in this way. And don't worry, I'm going somewhere with this. Vacation is a scheduled period during which activity is suspended. So when you go on vacation, when you take a holiday, you are literally stopping doing certain things, and that's what makes it a holiday or a vacation, true? So like, think of one thing that you might stop doing while you're on vacation. Work, yeah, there's all kinds of things, but work should be the first one that comes to mind. So there's those things that you do all year round to to earn money, to provide for your family or whatever you're doing. And then there's a vacation, and it's a season, a window of time when you stop doing certain things like work. Maybe for some of you, you do most of the cooking and cleaning around your house. So for you, a vacation is not cooking and cleaning. It's, a, it's ceasing to do that thing that you're doing all the time. For others, a vacation is the time when you get out of your current environment and you stop being and living where you live. I mean, you have a nice air-conditioned home, and when you finally get a few weeks of vacation, you want to go and live in a tent right cuz because if i'm home it's not vacation i got to go somewhere else. i got to cease something that i'm normally doing to do something very different now a vacation truly is this time when we stop doing certain things regular routines stop for a season and that's what makes it a vacation but you know there's one thing that at least i never do when i'm on vacation or i never stop doing and you know what that is eating eating See, here's the deal. If you go on vacation and stop eating, it's not really a vacation, is it? In fact, uh, Jim Gaffigan has this, he's a comedian, and he has this whole sketch about how vacation is really just eating in exotic locations. It's hilarious. I think it's so great. It's like, you go up the uh, CN Tower, you're on vacation in Toronto, you go up the CN Tower, and you're like 1,500 feet in the air, you have this incredible view, and within three minutes, someone says, hey, isn't there a restaurant up here? We should eat some food. Like, wouldn't that be fun to eat food in the air? Yeah, let's eat food. This is now a vacation. We're going to a Blue Jays game to watch baseball. I mean, eat hot dogs and nachos, right? Or you could, you could, you could be all the way in Italy, you know, taking a selfie with the leaning tower of pizza behind you. And it's like, did somebody say pizza, right? Like, it's amazing how food is just central to everything we do. And just like, and just like we feed our bodies every day. I think Jason, he didn't even know what I was going to preach on today. And he said (laughs) earlier, he's like, I like to eat every day. I was like, hey, he knows where I'm going with this. Because we do, we feed our bodies every day. And we would never dream of going on a vacation and not eating. And yet I think it's so easy for us to go on vacation and to stop feeding our souls. In fact, when I'm on vacation, I eat more of the foods that I love. And sometimes I'm tempted to not open this book or spend time with my Heavenly Father. Because I'm on vacation and it's all about me. And so today, the title of my message is really simple. My the title of my message today is simply this. Take your faith on vacation. Pretty simple, right? And, and I know many of you in this room, maybe you have a daily routine that you go through. Maybe you have a devotional book that you read. A devotional book's a really good idea. There's a daily scripture, a thought to think about, to meditate on, and maybe a prayer. And, and it's, it's just a catalyst for you to sit down and have a moment. Time with your heavenly father to to orient yourself for the day and to prepare your heart for what is ahead And I know that some of you do that others of you feel guilty because you don't do it and you know you should Others of you wish you were disciplined enough to do it Some of you tried it and it didn't work very well. So you haven't really been doing it But I want to encourage you There's no better time to start pressing in To to god and to start reading your bible and praying than when you're on vacation And while you're resting your body and while you're taking a break from the regular routines, you can establish a new routine, one that I believe will be life-giving for you. So take your faith. Take your faith on vacation. Um, I, I have this little uh, thing. Each day I get an email from a website called Daily Bread. Any you guys heard of it? Yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a devotion called Daily Bread. And so I get an email, and in that email there's a verse and a thought. And so even if I have, on occasion, and I do forget... Or, or miss my time with God. I can just be sitting anywhere. And I open up my phone and there's this thought. And I just begin to sit and, and take it in wherever I am. It's called daily bread. And the reason why they call it daily bread is because when Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Know what he said? He said that we should pray that God would give us this day our daily bread. The things that we need from God that he would provide it for us. That we're to ask him and look to him for. But there's also this incredible story in the Old Testament. And and Moses is leading this huge nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, and they're in the wilderness where there's no food. And God miraculously provides each day for their food. It's called manna, this bread that comes down from heaven, and they gather it up like dew on the grass in the morning, and they make cakes and loaves, and they are able to be sustained in this harsh environment through the daily provision of God. Now, some of the Israelites thought, what if we don't have enough food for tomorrow? I'm going to gather as much of this manna as I can. I'm going to put it in a Ziploc bag. Okay? Or whatever they use instead, a clay pot. And they would store it overnight because then they would have breakfast in the morning. But guess what would happen in the morning? They'd open it up and it would be full of maggots and rotten. Ugh, and the whole tent would smell. But they would go outside and God had provided fresh manna each and every day. And the whole point of this is that God was trying to teach His people to trust Him daily for the things that they would need. Daily bread. Daily bread. This is why I believe that devotions and time with God ought to be a daily discipline. It should be something that we do each and every day, that we take time to to, to read the words of our God, to pray and talk to Him, to reflect and orient our hearts towards Him each and every day. And I want to encourage you, even if you haven't been doing this, to start doing it while you're away on vacation. So, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 6, and in just a moment, I'm going to read to you the words of Jesus. And Jesus is instructing his disciples about prayer and about how to pursue God, and he's going to share with us some stuff that I think will really help us if your heart is to do this and to be in regular devotions with God. In these first few verses, Jesus is going to explain to us why this is so important and why we should do it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus says these words, And when you pray... Notice he doesn't say, if you pray. He says, when you pray. The assumption is that if a person calls themselves a Christian or a follower of Christ, if you say you love God, then you will naturally pray. This will be an outflow of your life. And when you pray, he says, you must not be like the hypocrites. A hypocrite is somebody who says one thing, does another. A fake, a phony, a fraud. Someone who's putting on a show. He says, don't be like that. For they love, speaking of, he's actually talking about religious leaders, They love to stand and pray in the synagogues. That would be Jewish version of this, church. there are people that want to stand up in church and pray so everyone can hear them, they stand in the street corners and public marketplaces, and they pray out loud that they may be, and here's the key, seen by others. Now, my guess is that most of you don't stand up in church or on a street corner and pray out loud so other people will think you're religious. That's kind of not cool in our culture. So people are like, oh, he's that guy or she's that girl. So you're probably not doing that, but let me ask you this, because I think this is something we all wrestle with. Do you come to church? Do you serve? Do you give? Do you help others to be seen by others? What's the motive? That's what Jesus is getting at here. Do you know that when you come to church, people see you at church and they're like, oh, good for you. You're faithful. People feel guilty when they don't come. Come. People, people feel good about themselves when they serve and give, and they feel guilty and shameful when they don't. And so, so much of the things that we do, even the good things, are often done to be seen if we're truly honest. And it's the wrong heart. And Jesus is going to challenge us in this way. And he says this Truly, I say to you, they, those who do things to be seen by others, have received the reward. Like you, you want other people to think you're holy and special? Great, you've just succeeded. But if you want God to be pleased with you, there is a better way to go about this. And here's how he instructs us. Jesus says to his disciples, but when you pray, okay, same thing, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father who is what? In secret, in secret. Jesus says, look, if you really want to check your heart and you want to know why you're doing it, why don't you try doing it alone? Now, is it wrong to pray in public? Absolutely not. It's a good thing to do. Pray with other people. Pray publicly. Worship publicly. But something's different when you get alone, isn't it? When you are by yourself, to me it is the truest version of yourself. I've seen people, I've caught them red-handed. They're in church and they sing like this. I mean, they're not even singing. They're just standing there like, you know, I I don't do this. I I don't sing. I don't dance. I just stand here and pretend I'm singing. And then, and then. You walk into their house and they don't know you're there and you hear them in the shower and they're staying alive staying i mean they're boogieing around man they you know they love to sing and dance just sometimes people look really holy and righteous and spiritual and then you see them when they're on their own and you discover something very different about them isn't that true The way they speak, the way they talk, the way they think, the things they look at and watch, like that there is this vast difference between the public and the private version of themselves. And Jesus is saying, look, if you really, really, really want to get this right with God, then you need to get alone. Because you know what? It's one thing, if you pray to God in front of other people, people will think you're special. So you scored some points. But if you pray by yourself and you don't believe God, then you're just babbling. I mean, The only reason you are going to sit in a closet or in a room by yourself and talk to your heavenly father is because you actually believe he's there and he's listening. Jesus is like, hey, devotions, daily, super important. Get alone, by yourself, in the privacy of your own home or wherever you are. And here's the beautiful thing. Jesus says this, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. He says God will see you pursuing him and will reward you. Which means it doesn't matter if anybody else sees, God will see, and God will reward you. That's good news, because I don't know about you, but sometimes I try to do my daily time with God, and I open the Bible, and you know, it's good to read different parts of the Bible, but there are some parts of the Bible, guys, that I'm just like, really? Like, I opened up to one text today I just thought I'd share with you. So you can just imagine me, not a morning person, at 6.15, with a cup of coffee cuz if i don't have a cup of coffee man there's nothing's going well so i got my cup of coffee and i crack open the bible and i'm like okay god i'm going to i'm going to press into you i'm going to like read my bible we're going to pray and this is this is a good way to start the day right and i opened up in like isaiah 38 <clears throat> in those days <coughs> in those days hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death and isaiah the prophet the son of amos came to him and said to him thus says the lord set your house in order for you shall die you shall not recover What are you trying to say to me, God? Like, you, you, come on, have you ever opened up your Bible and you got a reading plan and you're trying to get through the Bible and you're reading these texts that you're like, I, I don't get the context, I don't. Know how, this doesn't make any sense, and you're going like, why am I even doing this? If you're honest, there have been times, if you've been doing this for a while and you're trying to like do the faithful pursue God thing and, and you're like, God, I just don't get it. Here's the beautiful thing. Jesus promises that if we push in and we seek him with our whole hearts, He will hear an answer. He promises that we'll be rewarded for even attempting, even if we don't think we're getting anything, he'll reward us. But here's the beautiful thing. God has a way of of bringing all these things full circle. If you continue reading this particular text, which I literally, I cracked my Bible this morning. I'm like, I need a a weird text to share with everybody. And and so I'm like, oh, there's a good one. And so I started, but listen to the rest. This, This is really good. This will preach. Then Hezekiah, the king, turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. So the prophet gives him doom. You're going to die, this ends bad, and leaves. And what does Hezekiah do? In the privacy of his own room, he turns his face to the wall in secret, and he calls out to God, the very thing that Jesus is telling us we ought to do. And here's what happens. He says, please, O Lord, remember how I walked before you in faithfulness, and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly before the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. So the prophet's left. Now God speaks to the prophet, sends him back to the king. And he comes back and he says to the king, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. It's like, oh. So this story about Hezekiah actually tells me something about the nature of God and how he works and the value of pursuing him. Oh, That's why I'm doing devotions, you see? He will reward those who diligently seek Him. And so God God rewards the private pursuit of Him when we will do it. So He's told us a bit about why we do devotions. Now Jesus, in verse 7, is going to tell us how uh, we do devotions and some specific things. He says, and when you pray, once again, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. He says, the people in the nations around you, they pray to their gods and they just ramble, 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 ramble they have these little mantras and prayers, and they say them a thousand times, thinking that if they say it enough time, the gods will finally, they'll get the gods' attention. I have kids, and usually when we go swimming, there's always one standing on the diving board going, Dad! Hey, Dad, look at this! Hey, Dad, watch this move! Hey, Dad! And I'm sitting over there on my phone uh, with my daily bread trying to catch up because I forgot to do my devotions that morning. I thought it was funny. I'm sitting there doing that, and... uh, and my kids go going, like, hey, Dad, Dad, look at me, look at me. And I look, and I turn back to my phone. And it's like, no, no, Dad, you're not looking. Yes, I am. And they jump in the water. And it looks exact same as every other time they jumped in. I, Good job. <laughs> um, but Jesus is saying, look, you, you, don't have to, you don't have to earn God's attention. You don't have to, like, if you say it a thousand times, he's finally going to be like, oh, there's Jimmy. Oh, there's Sarah. Oh, oh, now you have my attention. He's like, no, no. God's paying attention. You don't, have to, you don't have to convince him. You don't have to rattle off his ear. That's just not necessary. He goes on to say this in verse 8. Do not be like them. Don't, don't do that. For your father knows what you need before you even ask. He knows. He just gets it. He knows exactly. He's not like the husband who says to his wife, what's the matter? And she says, you know exactly what's the matter. And the guy literally, legitimately has no clue what the matter is. God knows. Jesus says, before you ask, God, he knows. He knows what you need. He knows your situation. So if that's true, then here's what prayer isn't. Prayer isn't you informing God. Hey, God, did you know what they did to me? Yeah. Hey, God, I just, I don't know what I'm going to do about this situation. He's like, I do. God, do you, do you, do you, oh, I sinned and fell short of your glory. And He's like, yeah, I know. He knows before you even ask what you need. You say, well, what's the point of praying then? Well, it's definitely not for you to inform God. The reason you pray is to involve him. That's very different. Jesus says, don't, don't be, don't be rattling off. You know what I mean? The Lord's Prayer, we're going to get to in just a second. It's beautiful. You could rattle off the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Do it 1,600 times if you want. Jesus it's not repetition. It's not rattling off some sacred words. It's not genie in a lamp. It's you inviting God into your space. It's you inviting God to move on your behalf. This is the purpose of devotions and prayer. And so, he says, do not be like them. The Father knows what you need before you ask. And then he gives us, he gives us this beautiful model that I want to share with you today. He gives us the Lord's prayer. He says, pray then like this, like this. So you can recite the Lord's prayer verbatim. Great idea. We're going to do that together in just a sec. Great idea. But he says, pray like this. He's actually giving us a model and I'm going to break it into three simple things that you can do on a daily basis. And in fact, before you leave, I'm going to give you one of these. It's a bookmark that we created. And it says daily bread. There's a nice loaf of bread just to remind you to feed your soul. And underneath it, I have the three points from the Lord's Prayer and some subpoints that I'm going to tell you about right now. And you can take this, and you can take your faith on vacation in the form of a bookmark. So, I'm going to invite you all to stand with me and we're going to recite the Lord's Prayer in unison. Can we do that? These are the words that Jesus gave us. As he taught his disciples to pray. So let's say them together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thank you. You can be seated. Powerful words. And I I don't have time to, to fully break them out, but I want to share with you the three sort of steps or three categories of requests that we find within this very simple and short prayer. The first one is this, that Jesus is teaching us when he gives us this prayer that we ought to, first of all, remember who he is. The first sentence says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's all about, has nothing to do with you, has everything to do with him and who he is can I tell you the best way to start your day is remembering who God is? I've heard that the, the, the best way to start your day is with Folgers in your cup, okay? And coffee's great, but I'm telling you there's something better, okay? There's something better, and that is starting your day remembering who God is. First thing he says, Father in heaven, your The God that we serve is our heavenly father. In other words, a father is someone who is absolutely interested in the lives of their children. A good father is, correct? So that means that God is not some distant deity who's waiting to throw down lightning bolts. He's not some distant deity that's wanting us, his pawns, to to serve him as his minions. No, he is a father to us and wants to love us and wants to spend time with you. That's who we're praying to. Our Father, but our Father who is in heaven, He is in heaven because He is not of earth. He is in heaven because He is eternal. He is in heaven because He rules over all things. It's a good thing to remember. If He rules over and created all things, then that means that there is absolutely nothing that's going to happen to you today that He is unprepared for. It means that there is nothing that can happen to you that He can't overcome. He rules over all things. That's who you're praying to. And so we have a God who loves us as a father, a God who rules over all things, has all power and authority. But what if, what if his character is bad? Well, Jesus says it's not. He says, hallowed or holy is your name, set apart, distinctly perfect and pure. So we have a father who loves us, who has all power and authority, and who is perfect and pure in all his judgments. That's who we're approaching. If you just started your day thinking about that, your day would go better already. We haven't even got to the next two points. But it's amazing, it's amazing what can happen when you begin your day by remembering, as Jesus taught us, who our God is. Secondly, here's the second thing you want to do. Align ourselves or align yourself with his agenda. This might come as a shock to some of you, but um, it's not about you. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray, your will be done, your kingdom come, not mine not mine. Because it's his will and his kingdom that matter, not mine. So our default is to make everything revolve around us. This prayer teaches us to make everything revolve around him. Because I don't know about you, when you make it revolve around you, you are setting yourself up for fear, anxiety, and failure. That's been my experience, at least. Uh, I told you I used to make these windows, and in order to, in order to make a round window out of plastic, what you have to do is you have to take the long plastic frame and you have, to, you have to submerge it in boiling hot oil to soften it enough to shape it. And so I had this massive hot oil tank in the room where I worked and they sent me a helper who was going to help me because it takes two people to submerge this in the oil and to, and to shape it, okay? And so they sent me a guy, he was a, he was a little man from Sri Lanka. His name was Tirunabu Karasu it did take me many days to learn that, um, so we just called him Sri, and he was a great guy, he was a great guy, he's very, very, very hard worker, very passionate, and uh, in the first week that he was working with me, I'm teaching him this, we got our rubber bibs on, we got our, our insulated gloves and our goggles, you know, safety first and all that, and we're, we're submerging this, this piece, this long piece of window into hot oil, and he slips and drops his side into the oil problem was there was an easy fix I gonna talk him through it the problem was he would panic he was high strung little guy and he would panic and he'd throw his hands up in the air and be like what can i do and he'd start running in circles around the room and i'm going Sri, just street and of course everything's melting in the hot oil i'm like street like i'm trying to explain to him what to do and of course that never worked he would just panic and ever since that day i often see myself doing this because i have expectations of how life's going to go I have expectations of what God's going to do for and when it doesn't work out the way I think in my plan, guess what I do? What can I do? What can I do? I start panicking. I start shooting emails. I start calling my wife. I'm like, what am I going to do? She's like, calm down. Calm down. It's not about you. God has got this under control. When we realize it's, it's not about us, it's not about our agenda, it's about His, then we look to Him. And so when we're adopting his agenda, we ask different questions. So think about this. You start your day by saying, who is this God that I'm serving? Oh man, he's my father, he's loving, he's this. Then the second thing you do is acknowledge, sorry, the second thing that you do is align yourself with his agenda. So you begin to ask different questions. You ask questions like this. What are you doing in the world today, God? What do you wanna do in my marriage and my family today? Because I wanna get in line with what you're doing. And what's my part in what you're doing today? What can I do to serve alongside with you? This is the attitude that is shaped in our time with God when we follow Jesus' model. The third thing is to acknowledge our need for Him. This is where we actually ask for the things that we need. Notice this is at the end. And Jesus says it this way, give us this day our daily bread, the things we need for this day. Notice He doesn't ask for next week's bread, because if God gave me enough bread for next week, I wouldn't... I wouldn't need him this week. And so he gives to me only what I need each day so I'm continually dependent on him. Give us this day our daily bread, the things we need, money, resources, and forgive us our debts. Those are the things we have done wrong towards God and others. As we forgive those, forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So he says, now at the end of this prayer time, you can begin to ask God to give you the things that you need for today to to wipe the slate clean, your sins and wrongdoings. Imagine starting each day with a clean slate. And and here's the beauty of this. It's forgive me as I forgive others. So as God wipes my slate clean, I got to rub the slate clean for those that have offended me. It works both together. And so we say, provide for our needs it's this is beautiful thing when we can come to the place where we trust that God will meet our daily needs. That's tough, that's tough to do. I, I'm always running around going, "What can I do?" But He will provide daily, as sure as the sun comes up tomorrow. God will be faithful to provide. When I was a kid, I never worried whether supper was going to be on the table. I came home at 5:30. I walked in the house. Supper was there. Mom was smiling with a spatula every day, like the sun coming up, coming down. Then I got married. And around 6 o'clock, I was staring at my new wife. And she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, something changed. I don't know what it is. It took us a while. We figured it out. We figured it out. It's called I cook sometimes and help. But, all right, consistent. God is faithful. He will provide exactly what we need each and every day. And you can bank on it. This is the beauty of this. And so we acknowledge and we say, God, give me what I need for today. Forgive me. Wipe my slate clean of sin. And I'm going to wipe the slate clean for those that owe me. And then lead me and deliver me. In other words, there are going to be things that happen today that I'm not prepared for. I need you to lead me through them. There are going to be attacks. Maybe people attack me. Maybe Satan is trying to do something against me and my family. And I need you to lead me through it and protect me from it. This is the approach that Jesus gives us as we come to God. So we acknowledge our need and we ask Him for all of these things. I want you to notice one last thing before I close. As you read the Lord's Prayer, maybe you've never noticed this before, but the entire prayer is in the plural form. The entire prayer is in the plural form. And and notice that, that Jesus doesn't teach us to pray in this way. He doesn't teach us to pray my heavenly Father. He teaches us to pray our Father who art in heaven. He doesn't say, give me my daily bread. He says, give us our daily bread. Notice the plural form and the communal form. He doesn't say, forgive me. He says, forgive us. Because here's here's one of the amazing secrets, is that God will shape you privately, but everything he does in your private time with God will affect the public sphere. We, We approach God in private, and we live in community. This is the pattern that God gives. And honestly, a lot of the troubles that you and I are having in community are actually because we have not built time in privacy with God. Is that making sense? So why should you make daily devotions a part of your life? Why? Because it is is in those moments, as you begin each day, that God will shape you and prepare you for the day ahead. So here's my challenge as I close. I want to challenge you, each one in this room, to begin each day of your holiday in prayer. And and if you're not sure how to do that, if you have an app or something that you can use, go ahead and use that. If you don't have it, then grab one of these bookmarks on the way out at the doors. And it will literally guide you through this process that I've just talked about. The Lord's Prayer. Saying, remembering who God is, that's the best way to start your day. Align yourself with His agenda and acknowledge your need for Him. This is the model. Ultimately, communion with God leads to greater community with people. Can we pray together? Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.